Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with Brendan Burns, the Chief Hunting Officer and Director of Conservation at Kuyu, and Kevin Wilkie, the Marketing Development Director at Kuyu. Guys, how you doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. Fantastic here. Looking forward to having you both on. We've got a slew of questions from Kuyu customers here, and I thought I would take a little second here and um, just go through them and answer them. I know the Kuyu customers really enjoy this uh, format, and uh, it's nice to have you both on at the same time. Uh, Kevin, the last time I talked to you, you were headed to Alaska, I believe, with your son. Just curious how that trip went. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, we went on a, a week-long hunt, fish, tour, bender of, our, of Alaska. It was like our first time ever going up there. And um, Brendan and I have colleagues up there, uh, Justin Schaefer and Lee Daniels. They both manage our guide and outfitter program. So it was really cool to go there and hang out with those guys, and they helped me out a ton. But I was able to get my uh, – now he's 16. His birthday was yesterday. But I was able to get my son on his first bear. And we went down the Kenai Peninsula and just went wherever we wanted, fishing and glassing and spotting and went out on the ocean and caught a bunch of halibut. But it was it was an awesome experience. I can't wait to go back. Fantastic. Uh, what was the travel like as far as with the COVID stuff? Um, did you have to do anything special? Yeah, so I flew Delta Airlines. And at the time, it's it since changed, but... Uh, I had to have a COVID test before and results within 72 hours of arriving. And since we didn't get our results in time, we had to like self quarantine when we got there. Um, but I was able to get our results back in time that we could take off and go do our thing. Um, but flying up there was nice. Like they, like I've never had them do this before, but they kept my son and I in the same row throughout our whole trip for all four legs of the, the every flight that we were on the same row um no passengers in the middle aisle and you had to wear a mask the whole time um but recently i, I think you have to have a negative test correct um, yeah, to they, even to even get on the airplane and go so yeah yeah they just they just changed it, i think as of the 31st where you have to uh, I'm going up to uh, Moose Hunt in September. I just got back to took the family up there fishing, and uh, going forward, you have to have the the I guess negative results of a COVID test before you go. Um, at this point in time, within 24 hours, uh, I believe. And there's there's a bunch of you got to either do the rapid test or there's some uh, there's some protocol that you can go through where I, I believe you spit in this. They send you this package, and you can spit in this cup and and they'll get your results out back beforehand, but it's, it's changed all the time. That's for sure. Yeah. I know a bunch of guys that, uh, not a bunch, but a handful of guys that had drawn sheep tags, uh, Chugach and, and whatnot, and they were headed up. And I think those new changes kind of came right here at the last and they were a little bit stressed about it, but I think as far as I know, everything worked out. All right. Uh, Brendan, I know you went up there, uh, with your family, I believe you went with Lance. Uh, looked like the fishing was outstanding. You guys caught some really, really nice fish. Yeah, it was cool to get up and uh, and, and go. We not, went out on the peninsula to uh, a family trip with uh, another family and, and Lance and his family. It was just a just a just a friends and family trip, which was really cool. And we went out and the silver or the uh, sockeye were just coming in. Kings were just coming in dollies and rainbows were in and uh yeah it was just fun my 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 son caught his first 
big fish uh, all his own and uh, uh, Lucas and Gray went up with them. We had a super cub there too, a little flying around. It was it was awesome and uh, yeah, my my wife got uh, she's never fished before either, so she got uh, got a lot of fish. So it was just really fun to re- have a relaxing. Um, Looks you know, like she kind of caught the bug. Um, I could tell from the pictures she, she was really smiling. It looked like she really enjoyed it. Yeah, she uh, she caught the fish of the trip. As far as I'm concerned, she uh, I was showing her how to throw a fly rod, and like literally her first cast uh, with a fly rod, she caught a 28 and a half inch big buck Dolly Varden, which is oh, I mean man. I got I I got it up there for seven years all summer long for seven years fly fishing only. And I never have seen a, a dolly this big and she hammered. I mean, this thing is just beautiful. Fish. One of the coolest fish I've ever seen. So that was really cool. And we saw some bears and it was, yeah, it was just nice. Travel was, you know, it's just different now. You just gotta be, you, you gotta understand that you're going to have potentially delays. It's definitely more expensive. Um, the charter company Raven going out of business was, it's really a pain. Um, you know, normal, you know, a normal charter flight out to some of those smaller areas would be, you know, a hundred or 200 bucks. I think they've, they've always been fairly subsidized in the past and very easy to get out there. And now we, we end up chartering our own flight and it's pretty expensive. It's, it's just, there's just a lot of changes going on. I hope they can get everything kind of figured out and, and, and give, give people some options, but it's, it's, I mean, we had to sit on an airstrip in the middle of nowhere, uh, for four or five hours and no one from the village can come out and see you and you want to wear a mask and it's just, I guess it's just a new normal until it's not. So just, right. a, just an interesting thing. You just got to be prepared for it. Brendan, also, um, before we get into the Q&A, Conservation Direct, um, obviously the unbelievable projects that you guys have been able to fund with the Kuyu customers and Kuyu uh, as a company. Uh, I've got another project. Uh, I've, I know a little bit about it. What I do know about it, I'm super excited about. I just wanted to point that out um and let people know if they want to get involved there this is this is the time um what do you have to say about that yeah i'm not going to give out all the details i'm still working through uh some contractual stuff but we have a really exciting project um coming up another one where um yeah it's going to be all company and customer funded um it does involve sheep it's going to be pretty awesome um if anybody wants to be involved you can either shoot me an email or send you know shoot jay an email or uh or there's a sign-up place for involvement on conservationdirect.com if you want to want to be involved. But um, in the next week or two, I will have some some finite details on how people can be involved uh, from a from either a volunteer standpoint or from a financial standpoint. But um, we're going to do it one way or the other. It's uh, it's pretty exciting. I mean, Jay and I have been talking about it, and um, just yeah, man, we're gonna we're gonna make another one happen. It's pretty pretty exciting. So stay tuned. Yeah, I know when the when you pulled the first one off, there was so many people that had contacted me that were basically like, wow, I didn't know about it. I, I really want to get involved. And so I urge those people, you know, if you want to be involved, uh, get a hold of us uh, because this is a, this is an important project and Brendan's, you know, running the lead on all of this and, and uh, doing an amazing job. And it's going to be fantastic from what Brendan has told me about it. I'm super excited. So get a hold of us uh, and... Guys, let's dive into some questions here. All right. Okay, first question, fall bear hunting in Idaho, quick tips or lessons learned? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that one real quick. Um, so fall bear hunting is different than spring bear hunting. Spring bear hunting, you know, I assume he's talking black bears. I, I, I'll, I'll just go about it like he's talking spot and stock, obviously with bait. 
you know, they're going to be at the bait site and it's legal, which is legal in, in Idaho. But, um, spot and stock in the fall is, uh, is focused on one thing and that's basically food. You know, you're talking carrion or, or berries, heavy on berries, especially, you know, like in, in a lot of those areas, they're going to be in creek bottoms or on big hillsides where there's a lot of, where there's a lot of berries. And, uh, you know, so if you can concentrate on the food at this time of year, I mean, they're not breeding. They are basically, you know, making, you know, trying to get as fat as possible for the fall. So whether it's carrion, you know, there's some places where, you know, whether it's dead animals or, um, you know, carcasses, stuff like that, or, um, or berries, lush stuff that they really like to eat this time of year. That that's what I concentrate on. They, they won't move a lot. If you see one, you know, and he's eating in berries, like they generally won't move around a ton, um, unless they're moving to another food source, but that's, that's the best, best advice I can give for fall, fall bear hunting. And Brendan, as far as, you know, strategies and tactics, I assume if it's all about food, um, you do a ton of glassing on that hunt as well. So if you know where the food is, would I assume in the little bear hunting that I've done, you know, we have them all over the ranch and stuff and I see them, but, um, get up and across from them where you can look kind of down and across and kind of look into those patches where you think they're going to be and then just cover country with your binos. Yeah, I mean, the more the more glassing you can, you know, the more walking you can do for you, with, you, with your eyes, the better. Now, a lot of times they'll be in those deep creek bottoms too. That you know, if you if you know a spot that's got a ton of, whether it's huckleberries or whatever, you know, blueberries, you know, hillside like in Alaska, you'd have hillsides with blueberries, but like the kind of deep dark places that have a lot of a lot of berries, they can be hard to find too. Is you know, there's some still hunting you can do, but you're really the glassing is. Um, is going to be the most effective um, and it depends on the area you're in but yeah, I mean that's you I just concentrate on food like it's not that hard to figure out you can walk through a lot of stuff and see you know if there's big piles of bear scat with tons of berries in it you can bet there's a bear there eating that you know so um, that's 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 how I'd go about it I I generally take one in the springtime so I haven't hunted fall bears a ton but you see a lot of them or or really up high too you know I mean they are wearing a giant sweater so they they don't like to be in 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 hot you know, out in the middle of the sun, like they, they definitely would, you know, high alpine stuff. You'll definitely see some more bears up, up in that kind of country too. So I would assume like north facing slopes, more shaded slopes, definitely in the afternoon, kind of be looking into the sun or sun in your face and looking into where it's shaded, where it's cooler. Um, but if they get on food and they're kind of locked in, they, once they kind of get on it, they're, they're kind of there. So if you were to spot a bear, it's usually a pretty good spot to be able to get down and get to them, right? I mean, it's not like they're just out traveling a ton. Once they kind of lock in on food, they're there for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically nature's bait. I mean, when they when they get locked on that food store, they're going to react exactly like they would um, if they were hitting a bait station. You know, they know that's where they eat. I mean, they, they've got to drink, they've got to digest, and they've got to come back, and they want to get as much as they possibly can. And they're, they're trying to do as little as they can and get as much gain um, as far as fat and food as they can put in. So um, really, I mean, if you, you're basically targeting a natural bait, um, you know, like a berry patch or creek bottom with tons of berries, and they, they would just, they, they don't have a limit on how much they can eat. They will just continue to eat until the food source is gone or somebody runs them off or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, the more you can, and I've, I've, I've never found morning hunting for bears to be very effective. Like, I think 90% of the bears I've seen in my life are in the evening. They're just, they're kind of like people. They're kind of lazy in the morning. Um, so, you know, those are just some quick, t- you know, rules of thumb, some sure. in general stuff. But yeah, I mean, like I would concentrate on the food. Okay. Next question. Would Kuyu be able to add a waist strap with pouches to the Stalker 500? I can take that one. Um, 
Uh, I guess we could add that, but in our lineup, we already have the Venture 1800, which is a little bit bigger than the Stalker 500, but um, knowing what we've got uh, coming down the hatch, we've, we've got a new line of packs coming in the next few weeks, which will be close to what he's described there. So I would make sure you stay tuned, um, watch your emails from Kuyu in the next few weeks. Um, those should be dropping like end of August time frame. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I would keep an eye out for. Okay. Next question. Most common bow failure on pack, uh, backcountry hunts, I think is what he's saying. Uh, IE peep pops out, etc. All right. So yeah, he's asking and like, what are the most common issues you, that could happen to a, to a bow on a backcountry hunt? or any bow hunt for that matter. Uh, having worked in an archery shop for six years, I thought I'd seen it all, but surprisingly, the number one thing that, that I used to see, um, guys that put their release buckle, their wrist strap buckle around their bottom limb, they're in camp, and everybody's checking out each other's bows, and like somebody grabs a hold of the bow and draws it back with their fingers, and the release slides down the limb, and when they let the string down, the cam sucks the the release right into the cam derails the bow they're stuck on the mountain where the bow doesn't work um so it was always like it was at the shop that i worked at it was always like we would place bets at what time saturday morning opening of deer season deer and elk season that somebody would roll in with that exact problem and it was like we'd place bets on the time that they would come in that day as soon as the store would open um because it was it was like clockwork but um, the number one thing to go wrong is strings. They're very delicate. Uh, Brendan and I recently put together a, uh, a 10-tip article. You can find it on Kuyu's Basecamp. That was phenomenal, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, how to mountain-proof your bow for a backcountry hunt. Um, so I, Brendan and I, a few other guys at Kuyu, we put our heads together, and that, that's what we came up with. So I would recommend reading that. Um, unless Brendan's got a few other tips. I know he's probably spent more time in the backcountry than anybody yeah when, I, when, I, when i'm taking a bow on a, on a sheep hunt or like a long backpack kind of one thing i do is i, I have a uh removal my sight is removable um i try and i, I do take a uh an arrow tube with me especially on a big backpack kind of just because you got your knock sticking out and you're going through brush like i've got my setup now where i put all my arrows in arrow tube and i pull my sight off and i leave it with my release and i just try and minimize anything that's going to be hanging out there. I mean, you're talking broken pins, you could bend your side or fall down. And, you know, a lot of times on these, on these big backpack hunts, yeah, you can bring a second bow with you or you can plan like, Oh, something goes wrong. But at the end of the day, if you're truly on an unsupported backpack hunt, you've got your bow with you. Um, there's not a faster way to turn a bow hunt into a rifle hunt than breaking your bow. And so I, I just try and secure everything on my bow that I can that, that could possibly um, be in the way or get caught on something or snagged and, you know, string cover, all that stuff. I try and protect everything and make sure my arrows don't get broke or, or anything like that. And I've got a system set up now where I just throw my, my sight back on. I've got my release with me. I can pull four arrows out. They're all marked. I mean, it takes me less than two minutes to get ready. Um, and you know, you're not jump shooting sheep or, you know, like this fall or last spring, I had that big grizzly bear. Like it took me about three minutes to get ready to kill that bear and go after him. And, uh, you know, after brush brushing and stuff like that, it just, just, and, and the one thing I would say is the only thing I do double up on in a, in a hunt like that is my release. I mean, my release is either on my wrist 
or on my riser or with my sight. You know, like if I if I pull everything off, I put it with my sight. And I do have an extra release just in case something would would uh, could go wrong or you forgot it or lost or whatever. Again, there's you know, it's pretty hard to be accurate if you shoot a release and have to go to fingers, uh, especially on a once in a lifetime hunt. Uh, Ten years ago, I was in Alaska on a bell sheep hunt. I didn't get a sheep, but I uh, I did have a, a marmot climb in my tent, rip a hole through the side of my tent, and eat my wrist strap because um, of the salt on it. So you know, I, I've always I've always brought a second one now. I mean, it's just mauled this thing so but circling back on strings being the number one thing that can go wrong like you, you just have you got to treat them like they're super delicate because they are um like if you have a backpack strap wrapped around on them um or if guys that are hunting off an atv or a horse like anything that's touching your string will wear it out really quick like um i i kind of learned this on a on a mountain goat hunt that I did back in 2011 in British Columbia, we had like a 27 kilometer ATV ride followed up by like a full day pack in. And I had my bow on my backpack the whole time. And when I got to camp, one of my straps had like almost rubbed it all the way through the yoke harness on the bow on the cable. And luckily it didn't break through any of them, but like seriously, if I would have gone a few more miles, it would have cut all the way through. Um, so since then, I've full-length served my, my cables, and anywhere I can add a, that extra layer of serving, the, the wrap that goes around the string, um, I do that just, just to avoid that from happening. And you just got to be very careful with them. I'd, I'd say strings are the number one thing to watch out for, but you got to be careful with the whole kit. Next question. Uh, Brendan's advice for first week of September, OTC Archery Elk. I'm trying to kill my first bull. Awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a great place to be in and, and, and your, the bar is, uh, yeah, that, that's easier, easier to achieve for sure. So I, I'd focus, especially on the first week of September. Um, and I don't know where he's at in Colorado, Montana, whatever, but, um, you, you're, you're going to have your most success focus on either food or water, um, or lonely bulls. I mean, like if you're that time of year, some elk tend to run, like elk kind of run in cycles, and some bulls like to rut early, and, and some bulls in early September won't be doing anything. So if you can focus on some water, some food, and, you know, there, there are young younger bulls early that, that, that feel like they need to get in early, and, and they're highly callable, especially early when they're looking for looking for cows. So you can, you know, call sparingly, but uh, there's, there's, you know, and again, a lot of the big bulls, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with killing your first bull being a great big bull. Um, we'll be heavily focused on, on water and food that time of year, or just staying close to the cows. You know, I, I've, I've seen bulls that didn't really punch into rut, like kind of got close and we're just kind of like on a normal cycle of feeding and bedding and, and watering, but waiting until the, the first cows, cows kind of came into cycle. And, you know, early when, when the herds are all getting together to it, it depends on if it's a small herd or a bigger herd. A lot of times, you know, when they first punch in, they're they're not as smart as they're going to be in ten days once they've been pushed around a little bit. So you get a little bit of leeway. You can they're slightly easier to call, and, and especially those young bulls that are trying to figure out maybe rutting for the first time. Um, so yeah, just uh, you know, try and find as many elks as you can. But yeah, food, water, food and water are, are definitely good to concentrate at that time of year, especially when it's hot. Yeah, and I'd throw in too the stuff you're talking about water. I mean, if you can sit in a tree stand above a really good wallow. Um, or and or you know take a ground blind a lot of times early like that if it's hot which it usually is that first week you get those bulls that are wallowing and 
you know, so to, to focus in on a really good wallow where they're coming in to, you know, cool off is, is huge. Um, as well as like Brendan said, a lot of times, you know, if, if it's your first archery elk hunt, I would not be focusing on trying to kill a you know great big bull. I would probably try and not, you know, get a bull under your belt and, you know, try and get one. Um, so it, it could play out that calling could be very effective, especially on young bulls, like Brendan said. Yeah, you know, some just uh, random cow calling and, and sporadic cow calling, you know, could get an answer and get a bull, even if he's coming in silent. Um, so early, I would kind of be a little bit more patient in your calling setup. So if you do get a bull to bugle and he's kind of responded, uh, where maybe two weeks later, he's going to come bugling the whole way in. Uh, a lot of times early, they're going to come in kind of quiet and silent. And so just kind of give your setup time a little bit more. Uh, than you than you normally would. Uh, next question: Which Kuyu socks are best for warmer weather? Uh, uh, I.e. Arizona September elk hunt. I think our coolest sock right now would be the Strong Wool Hybrid. Uh, that bo- that sock is uh, has it's kind of a the, the reason we call it a hybrid is because it has sections that are uh, wool and other sections that are uh, polyester so wool does a fantastic job of of wicking or absorbing moisture but it's not very good at letting it go but the polyester panels next to the wool panels are really good at wicking and drawing that moisture away up and out of the boot so for warm weather i i would suggest that strong wool sock um one, the socks are lightweight i always pack an extra pair in my pack if you're hiking you know i'm in utah so it's pretty hot same time you guys are down in arizona so you know, as I stop the glass, I'll often just switch out to a fresh pair of socks, hang the other ones in my pack so they dry out. And it's it's amazing how much just doing a sock change throughout the middle of the day will increase your comfort. Yeah, and I think yeah, I run the I, I run the hybrid crew with a with a really, really thin liner sock. I always have a liner sock next to my foot, um, no matter what I'm doing. And I, it seems to work really good for me for, for blisters. But yeah, I mean, keeping them dry is the key. Yeah, and to top on, you know, just come on top of you guys on that. Uh, if you're in Arizona and you're doing some glassing as well, even if you can't change your socks, like Kevin's saying, you're up on a glassing knob. You know, kick your boots off, let your feet dry out, let your boots kind of dry out, let your socks dry out. Um, that's always something that uh, I like to do. Uh, you know, if I'm on a glass for 30 minutes or so, just you know, kick your boots off and let your feet dry out. It, it, it helps a lot. Next question, uh, we need a Peloton 118 hoodie, please. We, we have something in the works um, that's not released yet um, that's better than that. So we're, we're working on something that's that's better. I, I, I think you know where you're going with the 118 hoodie. It would be it would probably be a pretty good please, but I think we're working on something better. So you just have to, what just a have tease. to hold off. What a tease. I know. That's all I you know. can give us is that what a that's tease. It. <laughs> yep. Okay, when scouting new areas, how long before uh, let's see, how long before you move glassing spots, basins? Uh, I'll, I'll grab this one. Uh, for me, especially with sheep, I, I'll just assume he's talking sheep. Um, a morning and a night um, is what I, especially if you, you know, if you're if you're just covering a lot of country and you're just trying to find where animals are, um, that's one thing that's 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 different. But like right now, like for example, I'm I'm hunting goats right now. I'm I'm trying to find goats from where we're at where 
where I have a goat tag this fall. Um, you pretty much know what's there, especially in the summertime or early in the year. Um, if you give it a morning and a night, if there's nothing in there, you either need to come back, uh, check later, but that's, you know, give it a, give it a good solid try. I mean, animals are funny, especially in the heat. They, you know, they might not move during one, one session or you'll catch them super early in the morning or catch them on their way to bed. I mean, I was out the other morning and looking for some goats and these, I found two of them and, uh, they were bedded at 6 45 AM. I mean, it was, it wasn't even close to being hot yet. And they were already like locked in, in a deep spot. I just got lucky where I spotted them. So, um, I, in general, like, especially with sheep hunting, I go a uh, morning and a night. It's funny you said that, Brendan, because I was thinking the same thing. And Dar and I tend to do that, whether we're coos or elk or sheep or whatever we're doing. Um, it's amazing if you glass in the morning, you might just catch it, you know, or you might catch them and they're already headed to bed and you didn't, you didn't see half of what's there. But if you can glass an evening and a morning back to back, you can usually get a pretty good sense of what's there and that will dictate and allow you to say, okay, I need to keep moving or I need to spend a little bit more time or I need to relocate and kind of hone in on a certain specific area. So I, I like that answer for sure. How much warmer is the 280 than the 240? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, that's me. Um, so the, the 280 is, is a full zip, um, and uh, as is the, the, the 240. Um, it's, it's more substantial for sure. Um, I, I guess I don't have a other than saying as Kevin said 40 more. Um, I don't have a real I don't have a real way to say it. like it's definitely more substantial to the touch. Um, and whereas like a 240 would be like a, a definitely a mid layer, um, the, the 280 I've had multiple prototypes are kind of like, like a later season cold weather mid layer, or like your primary could be your primary jacket, um, that you're taking with you. Like in the summertime, like right now when I'm scouting goats, it's going to be a hundred degrees during the day. The most I would possibly need. Um, on a day hike, um, especially starting if it's really cool or we get a little shower and I've got rain gears, is that kind of, it's like a, that's like a, that, that heavyweight sweatshirt type, uh, but synthetic. So, yeah. So um, to the touch yeah. in the feel, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, the 280 is going to feel substantially thicker and, you know, more beefy, if you will, than the 240. 240, wouldn't it be a lot more for kind of spring, early fall type? And then you would consider like the 280 potentially more for those later fall colder definitely colder hunts right yeah it doesn't have as much uh it doesn't have as much wind resistance but they're just both built differently the 240 has a a wind resistant layer in it and the 280 um does not so um it's more breathable but more substantial okay yeah that's that's what i was gonna add the the 240 i think i would wear more on like a blustery day you got some wind and uh, maybe a little bit of light rain where the 280, I think it has a higher loft fleece on the inside. It's that brushed heavy fleece. Uh, I think it would do a little better as like an insulating layer than what the, the 240 would. Next question. Why do you think Rams broom? There's a couple reasons. One, one would be horn shape. I mean, a lot of people think they broom because, you know, so they can see, which I I've never, a lot of rams just broom it's personality and horn shape there's there's some horn shaped like really wide rams that um i think it affects how they eat um and they they have to broom or super tight sheep that come up and it, it gets in their way and, there, and there's some shapes of rams that you know a lot of them don't broom they break fighting so a lot of its personality too i mean i've killed a few rams that were just mean 
like to like like to butt everybody and like to fight with everybody and they just get broken to pieces so um a lot of it like they're like people you know some rams just are not that aggressive get those super lamb tips never rub off including big horns you know some of them just stay long and thin and there's some rams that just you know they want to bust it to the core every time they they get after it and a lot of it is horn shape too there are some there's some shapes of horn configurations that tend to 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 broom more the big low slung rams tend to not broom as much unless it gets in their way of and they're naturally running into feeding or stuff but a lot yeah basically horn shape and personality brendan real fast explain to the people that really don't even know what brooming is talk about how a sheep's horn um you know as they're you know one two three four years old how they come out and what you're actually when when you say brooming what it actually means yeah, brooming is knocking off the end of your uh, the end of their horn. I mean, when you see a long, thin ram that he still has his lamb tip on there, which you know, sheep grow about in their first year of life, they grow about seven to twelve centimeters. Then they have put on a big year of growth, and it's usually a lot thinner. And by the time they hit their three and a half, fourth year, like sometimes you'll see these rams that are broomed heavy like a ball bat, and people, you know, you'll count rings from the end and go one, two, three. Well, he's already missing almost three years off the end. I've killed rams that are broomed back to their three-year annuli and sometimes they'll keep all their lamp tips. they're killed stone sheep that have still have their lamp tip on them so you can um it's basically knocking off the ends and, and like i said some of it is fighting some of it is you know there's I've, I've seen rams that it gets in the way of whether they're eating or they're constantly like if they're standing on a slope um one side will be broomed more than the other because you know it it it, it hits the ground while they're feeding on, on a steep angle so um, yeah, it's, it's basically the removing of the tip of their horn as it gets in the way. Or like I said, there's some rams that come straight out and comes up by their eye and ends up above their nose. And it's, and if you can just look at, look at how they would hit heads with another ram, it's clear that like that tip's coming off. And, and usually the first time they fight or, you know, those big impacts will bust it off. Um, and some of them just rub them off. Some of them like to rub on stuff and, and it will and rub them way back. It's called brooming because the, the fibers of the horn, the way they, come together at the tip as they get broken off they're just little spikes and fibers it looks kind of like the end of a broom right that's a that could be that's a great point <laughs> kevin it's good of a good of an explanation of why it's named broom uh, as i've ever heard yeah me too <laughs> that's uh, what i've always just thought and visualized so when i've looked at them that have been broomed off yeah i can see that i'm looking at a doll sheep right now sitting right here and i'm i can picture a broom right there uh any t- I, I might tackle this one. Any tips on January mule deer hunts in northern Arizona? Um, January mule deer hunts in northern Arizona, one of the things you have to understand is they are going to be rutting. Uh, so on that January hunt, unlike a lot of states, those deer will be rutting and rutting hard, even in the deserts of Arizona. One of the benefits of Arizona's over-the-counter hunt in January is that in the desert and up in the pines and in northern Arizona they are rutting now not on the Arizona Strip if you're talking north of the Colorado uh, River on the 13A or 13B those deer rut in uh, mid-November and into December but are the rest of the state all over the rest of the state one of the awesome things about that OTC uh, one of you guys, I got, I'm getting some feedback. Uh, maybe go mute. Um, one of the benefits. I think, of, I think Brendan's cooking lunch or something. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, is that me? No, I'm I'm good. Okay. Um, it sounds like uh, yeah, it sounds like iced tea or something. But uh, 
Mule deer are going to be rutting in January. So the tips I would have are it's all about the does. Uh, find the does and you'll find the bucks. Uh, and, the, the, you know, it should be peak rut activity. So if you're finding does and you don't find the buck you want, I would keep moving. Uh, but remember where those does are and keep checking back on those doe groups because when they're rutting, it's all about those hot does. And I move around more when they're rutting, just, you know, covering country, trying to find the buck that I'm looking for. Anybody else got anything to add? Hey, that's pretty well spot on. That's, that's solid advice. Okay. Uh, next question with a full moon mule deer tag, should I try and kill in archery season or hold out with the rifle tag? I, man, I always keep hunting through a full moon. When I hear people ask, like, what do you do during the full moon? Or they suggest they'll just sit it out. Like, the deer are still up there. Like, they, they're still on the mountain. They don't disappear. They're, they're still there. It's just their patterns may change a little bit. You know, with a full moon at night, they may move a little bit. Or they'll be up feeding more later in the evening or earlier in the morning, depending on when the, the moon's up. But one of the best mule deer archery bucks I've ever killed uh, was on a full moon, middle of the day. He was out. I caught him feeding in the middle of the day because I think he'd been up at night. Um, so I I never stop hunting because of the moon phase. Sometimes I'll spend a little more time out in the field when it's when it's suggested that it's like high level activity because of the moon. But I won't not hunt because of it. So man, I I would give it everything you've got on the archery and the rifle, like. I would never want to look back on a hunt and, and know that I didn't kill him because I was sitting out on full moon stages. So that's, that's my take on it. For New Mexico bear and fall turkey with a bow. I would say the same thing we said about the Idaho thing, you know, like, I mean, obviously turkeys, I, I'm not a huge turkey guy in the fall, but uh, the New Mexico bear, I mean, I, I don't know what it depends on if you're in the desert or in the mountains, but I would just focus on the food. And I think uh, fall turkey, I always say it's all about water with turkeys in the fall. Um, a lot of times that year, that time of year, they, they've got to drink a lot of water. So you've got to be around water, check for tracks on those, whether it be springs or um, dirt tanks. And if you're not seeing tracks, I'd move to see tracks. Uh, next question, any details on the, on the option site, black gold custom bow site, Brendan's running? Yeah, the details are it is an it, it's a five a five pin option head that I uh, uh, buddy that I that I built in on a black gold um, slider, um, and yeah, I, I built it myself. And actually, a good customer, ours buddy of mine, EJ Veros, actually built a a windage block where I can just actually put them both together. But it's a bit of an expensive way to build a site. I think about six hundred fifty bucks into each of them. But um, for the way I hunt and for what I like, I like. I mean. I feel like I've got, I've got a range on an animal. I'm far more accurate with a centered pin, centered housing, single pin. And I feel like when I'm walking around hunting elk, I want to have pins to 50. That's when my bow really starts dropping off into where I'm going to need a range and, and, and definitely going to know, need to know the exact. You're not going to take a quick shot past 50, or I'm not going to. So it just works for me. Um, like I said, I like, I like to center my pin, center my housing. Um, I like a round sight and, and I like the ability to flip those out of the way. If I, you know, like last year I had a, I shot an animal up at 82 yards. I was elk hunting and came around this bush and I was totally wide open. I don't even know how I got close to him. And he was there standing, looking the other way at 82 yards. And, you know, that's just, you know, wide open. 
I had a good range on him, no wind, and uh, I was able to flip it open, move it to 82, and pounded him. And so for me, I, I like the ability to have both. Um, you just always have to reset your sight back to, like for me, I walk around with my sight. I've got 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I swing it open, my 30-yard pin. I, you always just have to set it back to 30. I mean, the one thing is, and I've been doing it for, you know, more than a decade. So just remembering to keep it, <clears throat> to keep, uh, to keep it back at 30 unless you're going to the single pin. But uh, it's just a really good system that's worked for me. And um, not everybody would like it, but it, uh, I, I'm super happy with it. So your, your number one reason in choosing that option head on there is so your rover site, the one that you're sliding with, you know, if you're running you know, past 30, you want to dial exactly to the yardage. Your pin is centered exactly in the middle of the housing, right? Yep. Yeah. Cause I, I, I've tried centering my pins versus centering the housing and it just does not work with my brain. And a long, I shot a, I shot a single pin for a long time, but that's got some flaws in it too. You know, you know, putting marks on the pin or like, I just feel like the option head being able to swing it open, you know, to have multiple pins and swing it open and leave that center pin, centered in the housing centered in my peep um just just really works for me and especially at long distance i'm far more accurate with centered pin yeah. centered housing so i grew up shooting you know just five fixed pins inside a round housing so it's it's not it doesn't feel i don't know i, I guess i'm used to the feeling of aiming centering my peep sight on the round housing and aiming with a lower pin so I, I run my rover pin is my very bottom. It's like right over the top of my level. It's not centered in the housing, which I can see the advantage of that. But I guess just all those years that I've shot fixed pin sights, um, I've gotten used to centering my people on the housing and just using a lower pin. So it, it, I guess it just comes down to what your personal preference is and, and what, what you're used to. I can tell you that if we were in a shoot off, uh, Kevin's more accurate. So it works good for it makes me it makes me as accurate as I can possibly be, but uh I wouldn't argue with how he does it as well either. And that's I think it's just one of those things like you have to try a bunch of different things over a lot of different years to know what works for you. There's a ton of you know, here's how you should do it or here's how this guy does it. Like that's that's why you just want to try yourself. I I've developed this system myself for what works that makes how I shoot the most accurate. And it might work for somebody else. But it uh, it works great for me. Next question: bow sight recommendations. I take your pick. Like, there's so many good sights out there. This is a a good time to be alive if you want to pick a good bow sight. Um, I, I think the first thing I would like we just talked about is is explore all the different options. You've got you know one pin slider, you've got a five pin slider, or you've got three or five or nine or however many you want, just fixed pins. So um, I would I would take into account where you're hunting, what type of hunting you'll be doing. If if you're sitting in a tree stand and you know your shot will be 19 yards, like I, I would only use a single pin if I was hunting out of a tree stand and I was tight quarters and I knew what kind of shots I'd be getting. Um, living in Utah and hunting around the Mountain West, we never know. I never know where my shots are going to be. Like it could be like I've I've had them as close as seven yards and and all the way out as far as my site will extend. So that's why a five pin slider works for me. Um, but as far as brand names go, I would, man, there, there's a lot of good ones. Like I said, I like the, the black gold. Um, Brendan, he's obviously combines the black gold and the option. Spot hogs are good. Uh, but yeah, find, you know, the, the best site you can for your budget and go for it. 
Okay, next question here. Is it good to bugle if you can't get closer to a bull because he's surrounded by his cows? Definitely not. So my, my opinion on that is be like, I feel a lot of, of bulls and a lot of big bulls by getting as close to a cow as I possibly can. And then just waiting. It's, it's, it's going to try your nerves. But one of my favorite things to do is still in, still hunt in on a, on a bedded herd. And I just, I get within shooting distance of the closest cow I can get to. Like I, the very edge of the herd, that's fine. If I'm 40, 50 yards away from, from, and I just want to get close to one cow, especially during the middle of the day, because nine times out of 10, that bull is eventually going to get up and he's going to go check all those cows. I mean, he, he, they, they just do. And especially if you've got the wind right. Now, if the wind's squirrely, I would totally back out. I, I wouldn't even be close. Um, and it sounds like in that position, you know, unless that bull's going crazy and chasing other bulls around. Uh, and at that point in time, yeah, I mean, if, if he's everything that bugles at him and there's some other bulls there and they he's coming after him, absolutely, that that can be, you know, I'd, I'd definitely make him feel comfortable, maybe get below him and, and yeah, give, give it a bugle and he may come looking for you. That's great. But most of the time in those situations, for me, I'd rather just get, I get close to the, the, the nearest cow I can get to where I have, feel I have the wind in my favor and I just stand there and I've stood, you know, I think the last one I killed that way, I stood for four hours and 20 minutes and eventually it's big six by seven came over and checked this, checked this, checked all the cows to the circle around him. I thumped him at 40. So, um, you just want to look at the situation. Now, if the wind's squirrely, the best advice is just back out and wait for a better setup. But if, you know, yeah, if you can get close to a cow and you got the wind in your face, I would just stand there as long as you have to. Cause I, it's been my experience that eventually, especially if it's a big bull, he's going to go around and check all those cows. They like to sniff them. You know, they, they, they think something changes every hour or two. And that's, I just get close and just don't move. Yeah. And I would like to throw in contrary to popular belief, um, the idea of just blowing a bugle and all of a sudden the bull's just going to tear out and come to your position. That very rarely happens. Um, speaking from Arizona and Colorado standpoint, if calling, that's probably the worst thing you can do. Cause now everything is now looking in your direction. Um, you know, I would use the bugle very, very sparingly, but certainly with a big group of elk and a bull you want to kill, the last thing I'm going to do is peel out the bugle and start firing off at him. Yeah, that bull has what he wants. Why right. would he leave to go track down some other bull talking crap to him? Like, no, he's got what he wants. He's going to tend to the herd, like Brendan was saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I invested my first stimulus check. Would it be wrong to spend all of the next one on Kuyu? Absolutely not. I know, I feel, <laughs> absolutely not. I, I feel like uh, I feel like in, in investing in Kuyu is investing in yourself. I mean, you're uh, you're going to be warm and dry, comfortable, um, better time in the woods. So no, I mean I'm, I'm not going to hold that against you. <laughs> uh, any chance of getting waist size thirty or thirty-two and tall inseams in the future? So. In our attack pant, we offer three different inseams. Um, on the longer inseam, they're 37 inches. So he's wanting a, a 30 by 37 or a 32 by 37. Currently, the longest we have is a is a 30, 30 and 34 length, and then 32, 34 length. Um, but you can unstitch the hem on the bottom and let out another inch and a half. So. As far as any chance of getting them in that size, you know, we base our sizing and what we offer a lot on uh, customer feedback. So the more feedback we get or the more requests we get for a certain size or a, a certain 
um, product, you know, increases the likelihood that we'll do it. So as long as nobody's asking for it, we won't be, we probably won't offer it, but if we get a, you know, enough of a demand for it, yeah, we, it, it could be possible. Uh, are there, let's see, are they open to backpack ideas envisioning a backpack built for hot days out West? Always open to good ideas. Um, one thing I'd say for hot days out West, I mean, we, we our our current pro frame and suspension has a lot of space for airflow. I feel like it does a, on really hot days, it does a really good job. The connection to your back is really only in the places where you need it and your, and your, and your waist belt system. But I feel like our pack has a ton of airflow built in, whether it's the, the, in the suspension to, uh, the, and, and is very effective for hot, hot days. I don't know if he's talking to a backpack or a certain bag or something, but, um, yeah, we, I think who you shines in that category, to be honest with you, compared to other yeah, packs. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with our recent, um, upgrade to the pro packs. We, we, we've gone to a new spacer air mesh. So that's all new. If he has one of our older packs, like an Ultra or an Icon Pro, the the new Pros they're wider across your back, so they have more airflow, and then the spacer mesh um, gives a, a lot more breathability, and it's more durable too. So I feel like if anybody has a the ideal backpack for for hot weather, I would, I would definitely put our hand in the air for that one. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next question. I don't know if this is a if he's teasing or what, but, uh, why in the world do you not offer a flat brim hat? I would buy three of them right now. Come on. They get in the way of your bowstring. You can't <laughs> shoot. You have to kind of pull it to the side. If you want to. Tuck your ears um, in and go. <laughs> there you go. Um, I guess, you know, we have the, in our lifestyle lineup, we've got the, the mesh back caps and the, in the Richardson 112, which are really popular. Um, but they're not full on flat brim. But if he wants, like, just a full-on flat brim, um, yeah, we don't have one right now, but I'll uh, I'll submit the feedback for you, <laughs> Corey ben, ben Dixon. There you go. Um, we have three of them sold right now. There we go. Does the Yukon rain gear replace the soft shell, soft shell guide jacket or as a fourth layer? Um, I guess it would kind of depend on how, like the Yukon can definitely use, be used as dual purpose, like your outer jacket, um, depending on what you're doing. Like if you went, you know, base layer, mid layer, super down pro and, and Yukon, um, you certainly could get rid of not having a, a soft shell and that's built. It's pretty substantial. It's got a lot of pockets. Like you could definitely multi-purpose with that. Um, on the other hand, you could also do the same with the soft shell guide jacket. I mean, the soft shell, the guide jacket has enough DWR that, if you're not really planning on um, on getting, you know, a ton of rain, it, it is highly water resistant. I mean, I've been in some crazy showers where you didn't get wet with the guy jacket. So kind of each of them, depending on the situation, could be kind of interchangeable as not having to take um, either rain gear or not having to take a soft shell. Um, so I, I hope that kind of helps. But, yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely run it as a multi-piece. A good in-between option between the Yukon and the guide would be the Axis jacket. It has waterproof paneling throughout the hood and the tops of the shoulders and the arms. I really like the Axis on those days where it's been raining really hard or it's snowed and you're still going through the timber and everything's still kind of dripping down on you, but you're not necessarily wanting to be in, in rain gear. So um, I would consider the Axis as another option in there. 
Next question, rank the zip-off long johns warmest to least warm, please. So we have uh, we have four zip-off long underwear. Um, the original often copied uh, full zip long underwear. And we have two <laughs> synthetic and two merinos. Um, and that is a shot at, uh, at some people. Um, so we have the 118 and the 97 are synthetic. Um, so the 118 would be the lightest synthetic. And the 97 would be the heaviest synthetic. Um, it's a fleece backed. Uh, that's a really nice piece, super light five ounces. And then on the Merino side, the 145 is, you know, kind of your early season, very lightweight Merino. And then we have the pro Merino zip off, which is the heaviest Merino. So the four would, I guess, in order of weight would be 118, 145, 97 pro Merino. Okay. What hunt, uh, what hunt species would you recommend for a first time hunt in alaska yeah first time hunt in alaska you want to like get your feet wet and and uh you know you know there's there's so much that goes into going to alaska whether it's the travel or just getting used to be in some of those remote areas and 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 people you know tend to not freak out but like it's definitely different you can describe it to anybody until you've been to alaska but once you go there then you realize like man it's a whole different universe up there so you know, a caribou hunt off the hall road, you know, some walking areas um, that you can do caribou hunting. And I, I assume he's talking do it yourself or, or, or lower price. You know, that's something you could, you know, it's more affordable. Um, or a mountain goat hunt is a really good one. I, I would say for bang for the buck in Alaska, the uh, the, the mountain goat hunt, if you're going to go on a guided hunt, um, is, is a tremendous experience. You know, it's a lot less than cheap. You know, another one that you could look into is uh, Kodiak deer. Um, a lot of guys do their first trip. They go to Kodiak, go hunt Sitka deer. I actually went on my first Sitka deer hunt last year, and uh, that's an awesome hunt. You see a lot of animals, and uh, and success rates really high. I mean, you want to have a good time, you want to get one, and, and you want to see, you know, you see some great big bears and and stuff like that. And, and Kevin can describe. He just went on a black bear hunt, you know. Um, so yeah. Good one. Yep. Um, black bear was fun. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do it without the help of Justin Schaefer because he was running bait sites up there, and um, that that's the way. That's the only way I would be able to do it again. As if you know, had somebody up there helping you, or a guide or outfitter that's running baits. Um, but blacktail on Kodiak would be the one that I've got my sights on. That's where I I want to go next. Next question. What opportunities, if any, are out there to hunt bighorns with few points and on a budget? Well, the, the, the main one would be the unlimited area in Montana. And we've, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can look up and tell, you know, it's, you, it's the only place you can, it's probably the toughest hunt in all of North America. As far as success goes, it's, it's just a big, nasty, you know, there's, there's, there's five areas big nasty group of rocks that uh you know there's some legal rams in there and you can you can go hunt bighorns every every year you've got a you've got a uh <clears throat> you got a tag in your pocket um the other one that people might not associate with bighorns as far as for the money and i assume like being a bighorn might not be that important but you know once once the covid situation gets kind of all taken down like probably the most affordable bighorn type hunt um you might look into is, is some of the stuff in russia you know it's a long ways to go um, but you know, come chalk to bighorns and, you know, Koryak snow sheep and all that stuff. Those are pretty affordable for what you get. I mean, they look very similar to our bighorns. Um, I have not personally done it yet, but like when you look at how much it costs, like, yeah, you're definitely going to travel around the world. Um, you're probably going to see, you know, it's, 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 you're going to run into some logistical 
problems, but you've got to, you know, you're going to go hunt an area that's got bighorns and, uh, and it'd be a, be a pretty cool thing. And they look pretty similar, but you know, I mean, I think for the money, um, you know, if you're on a, on a budget, I mean, the unlimited area would be the one. And, you know, I think if a guy, you know, put a plan together and, and really dedicated, I'm going to do that for 10 years straight. I think you'd be surprised. You'd probably end up with one. Okay. Best overall vest from Kuyu. I like the Kenai Ultra. That would probably be my, if I had to pick one vest out of our entire lineup to use for everything, I would, that would be mine. Insulation, lightweight, super packable, does everything a vest is supposed to do. But that would be my pick. I second that. Uh, I like the 240 Peloton vest a lot too. Um, it depends on what you're doing. Super down vests are nice if you really need the extra, uh, uh, the the heat and and the access vest has actually been a new one I've, I've messed around with a few times and, and like too so just I guess it just be depend on what what you're looking for in a vest but hard to beat the Kenai. I love this next question. Yo, Brendan, where's the sun hat? <laughs> We're getting fried out here without it. It's it's been passed on. Kevin, no, everybody <laughs> knows. Like they're, uh, they're we get, we have to focus on uh, the stuff we can. We can focus on, but it's it's certainly been passed on. You mean there's uh, six the, the of us demand. in Arizona that want it? Yep, there's been the demand <laughs> for the sun hat. Um, hey, did you take passed on? But they look so one, cool, Brendan. Take one look at me and how light complected I am. You know we're coming out with one soon. Me like, too. So uh, the, what's his name? The double B thirty two. Just know that you have an advocate at Kuyu that wants. <laughs> See, I, I've got a couple of our boonie hats that we had a few years ago. That's what I wear, and, and just know that you have an advocate at Kuyu for a sun hat, so we need, stay tuned. We need about another four inches in uh, in diameter on that. Okay. Uh, what makes the Mountain Star tent the best on the market? I'm researching several brands. I would say the design and the function. So um, the Mountain Star is a uh, double vestibule. It's an ace. It's got an asymmetrical bottom, meaning that it, it is wider at the top than it is at the bottom. Most tents are square. Um, that, that would be one thing. It's, it's definitely functional. If you're using it as a two man tent, I would put it up against any tent on the market. Um, it is designed for two hunters to stay in for sure. Um, double vestibule, kind of like everything you'd want in a two person, three, whatever pound tent it's, it's got. The second thing is, there's a lot of tents out there and I've actually seen some advertisements where people are like, Oh, this is the best tent ever built. And here's why like, listen, if you have to put your rain fly over your poles, when you go to get set up and it's raining, I can tell you that that's not a great mountain tent. So, um, the, you stake down the mountain star and it's got the poles on the outside and then you clip it together. Like your inner tent never gets wet. If you are in an absolute downpour and you'll only know this once you're in a downpour and set up a tent that you have to, set up the tent and then it's all wet and then you got to put the rain fly over the top so there's some there's some competitors that have come out with tents that like i think are highly flawed um and those would be the two biggest differentiators that you know the 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 rain fly is connected all the time and into it you can set that thing up in the nastiest rainstorm you could ever imagine and it's designed for uh two people to lay side by side it's eight inches wider um shoulder to shoulder because i mean sleeping head to foot is um you know who gets that side so that, that was what i'd say to be the big the biggest difference nothing like uh rain under your umbrella right like <laughs> having the poles on the outside just makes so much sense one of the things i would add to that when dar and i went on that mountain goat hunt in alaska 
Um, we both were in our mountain stars. Uh, we, we each took our own and we had that rainstorm that was so big that literally the water was not coming in the vegetable because there's, there's a, um, mesh, if you will, lining that, that comes up. Um, well, the, the vegetable comes up about, you know, five, six inches. I had water coming underneath the tent so bad that literally my air mattress, I felt like I was in a swimming pool on my air mattress. In other words, I was floating, but I stayed completely dry. And from that point on, I've been sold on the Mountain Star two-person tent. Um, yeah, if it's, a, if, if it's a nice day of camping and you can set it up and it's sunny and you can stake everything out. But like when you know how good a tent is, when you absolutely need to seek shelter now and it's like nasty and, and mountain goat hunting is one of them that's it's happened to me multiple times where you don't have a choice where you're going the other thing is it's a freestanding tent you know there's been tons of times where i've been sheep hunting where um even you know we make some tents that are held up by trekking pole like you want a tent that you don't have to stake down you can put up a mountain star with two rocks um to just hold it hold down the vestibules on the outside and it, it's freestanding on top there are times when you get stuck in a place that you know you're not using the the tent the stakes like right. you can't pound stakes into solid rock rock yeah um so having a freestanding tent um again as a mountain and there's there's a lot more places that you cannot pound something in than than you think of especially in the high alpine or sheep hunting and you know sometimes you might have to stack a flat place that's solid rock like you want a freestanding tent and and the fact that you don't have to put the the uh dust or the uh, rain fly over the top makes it uh far superior love our tent by the way if you can't tell <laughs> yeah me too winter kutana pants coming back in stock and the kutana vest i was probably talking about the the kutana stretch woven pant um we have them in stock in velo and also gunmetal and all of they are in stock right now um, we are receiving more um verde and vias uh, anytime they're due like any moment. So keep an eye on the website whenever we're out of anything. If you know, our, we keep our website up to date. Um, you know, we'll, if we're out of it, we'll have a little note at the bottom of the short description saying when, and those are, those are accurate. So that's the best way. As far as a Katana vest, um, I don't think we have plans yeah. for a Katana vest, but that, I guess that'd be a soft shell vest i would look at the axis or even the guide uh would be very comparable to that uh katana i think the katana is a nylon would be a nylon two-way stretch so a little more durable but i think maybe even the peloton 240 would be you know would would fit that niche give us a lightweight hoodie for hiking scouting and in the midst of hunting prior to to a stock i would say we have two phenomenal runs right now the, the 145 merino hoodie or, or the 97 peloton both yep. are would fit that absolutely perfectly and i mean they're ready to order right now yeah i would echo the same next question what are your essential pieces i'm headed to idaho on a deer hunt in october suggestions essential pieces for me are, are, are really fall into the down category. Like I don't go anywhere without super down jacket and pants, especially if you're talking late season. Um, it's just uh, the best insurance policy you can possibly have. Obviously you're going to need rain gear. Um, you know, your, your basic kit, which you can jump on our site and find, you know, like I'm in stretch woven pant, you know, like what's one of, whatever of one of our products you pick, you know, pant, 
uh, mid layer, base layers. Um, but the essential pieces, you know, you want, you, you know, it's important to stay warm, especially let's see October, Idaho, like it can be pretty darn cold, you know, like our whole layering system is built for versatility. Like depending on your exertion, depending on the temperature, depending on, um, the factors and what you're hunting in, you, it allows you to stay, you know, warm and, and comfortable dry, um, depending on any situation. So that, that we, we build a system that is basically our essential pieces. And that that's, it's, it's kind of a loaded question, but uh, that's the way I would answer that. Okay. Next question. Layering system, Southern BC bighorn, September to, uh, through late October. Southern BC, uh, that'd be like Northern Montana, Southern BC. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you send me an email, I can send you like a, a, a early, I think we have on the site too, a, a, a later season sheep hunting, um, uh, gear list. And, you know, you're going to want to just make sure you do have your, your super down, um, your rain gear, um, probably going to lean more towards instead of the mid layers that you can skip, uh, like a, a soft shell, um, you know, gators, like, you, you know, that time of year you could get eight inches of snow or it could be 70 degrees. And again, I kind of like the last question, I think you, um, but if you, if you send, uh, me or Jay an email, I'll send you my, uh, late season sheep hunting gear list, which will which definitely get that done. And it's Brendan B that's Brendan B R E N D A N B at Kuyu.com. Yep. Status of the feet warming product. You mentioned a year ago for glassing in the cold. Um, still in the works. Um, gonna be gonna be perfect when we get it done, and we're we're definitely working on it. We did come out with an insulated boot in that time frame. The Rebel K10 has uh, not quite the what he's talking about, but we have added an insulated boot to the lineup since then. Yep. Okay. Uh, next question: Speed versus FOC on Aero Build Ideal feet per second range i'll take that one i'm just kidding go ahead <laughs> <laughs> let's hear it guru <laughs> let's hear it brandon what you got buddy <laughs> hey i've shot with brandon i you know i've i've shot field rounds with him the guy is no slouch we you know they're at the office um in dixon just a few miles away at the yolo bowman bow range shout out to those guys they, they have a pretty cool course there um Brendan and I would go shoot whenever we're in the office together. We we bring our bows and we go hit the range there. And I've shot. I don't think Brendan had ever shot a field round in his life. That's shooting the black and white targets. The hunter face is a is a white center and it's black everywhere else. And we shot uh, a half range, which was fourteen targets. And I cleaned it, and you dropped like three, maybe four points the whole time. Which that's usually what I shoot. I was on fire that day and cleaned it and. Brendan shot. He's no slouch. The guy can. The guy knows his way around a bow. Um, but to answer his question, speed versus FOC. Um, interesting fact: like the the Korean Olympic team, which is like the it would be like the U.S. basketball team going to the Olympics. Like those the guys just team. dominate no matter. Yeah, it's a dream team. Dream team. They shoot between and they're they're shooting seventy meters, which is seventy six and a half yards which is quite a long distance, with a recurve, for that matter. So they need something ultra-forgiving. They shoot 8 to 10% FOC. So this FOC craze, it's going. it's been going on for and you know, Kevin, five or six FOC years. And Kevin, FOC stands for? 
front of center balance. Okay. So, you know, guys are loading up the front end of their arrow, super heavy, and they they primarily do it for, I guess, penetration. That um, some will say that it bucks the wind a little bit better, but you know, for me, it always goes back to shot placement and accuracy because it doesn't matter if if you hit, like you want to hit the animal good, you want to hit them accurately. If you hit where you're aiming, you're going to zap right through them. You got a dead animal on your hands. If if you wound them, you wounded them. Doesn't matter how much. I mean, so I guess a little bit more penetration might help in some instances, but I have always preached that shot placement's number one. Um, so I, I'm not subscribing to the super high FOC. Like I run my hunting stuff at like 12%. You know, we've talked about it before my speed. I like to keep things around 280 to 290, somewhere in there. And, it, and I've even said 275, but that whole ballpark range of 275 to 295 is perfect because you're shooting super heavy FOC and you're going 230 feet per second you get a target at 36 yards and you misjudge it by a few yards, you're, that's a miss. Like I would rather have something fast, accurate, that if you happen to misjudge distance or your rangefinder reads it wrong or your animal takes a step or two, um, you'll still be able to put an accurate shot on them. Um, you're shooting those super slow setups, a little bit of distance between you. you you've got a wounded animal on your hands. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely echo that. I mean, I don't, I haven't dived into all that stuff like Kevin gets into it, but I can tell you, like, hunting big bears and hunting, you know, elk and stuff like that, I, there are a lot of guys that they subscribe to super heavy weight or super heavy FOC. And it's like, especially with big bears, like, man, y- you know, a super heavy arrow going super slow, it's definitely not ideal. I mean, you you, you need to have some forgive- forgiveness on range in between, you know, like you may come in at 25, you may – get him at 40. I mean, if you have a 220 feet per second bow and I've shot with guys, I actually helped some guys when we were coming back from Alaska on, on a grizzly hunt. And I was looking at these setups and they're like, you know, I'd spent a lot of time online listening to the guys that had never actually killed a big grizzly bear or killed a big brown bear. And they got these massive setups. And it's like, if you're off by two yards at 30 yards, you're going to, you know, you're going to be 16 inches low. I mean, these things are just like falling out of the sky. So I think like anything, it's a, it's a middle ground, you know, I'm the same as Kevin. I shoot two, 270 to 290. Um, you want to have, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of flexibility and you want to have a little forgiveness built in there and, you know, and, and a heavy enough arrow to where it's not, you know, crazy fast and, and not going to zip through something. Okay. Next question. Will stone sheep prices skyrocket after this season with all the backlog due to COVID? I don't know that stone sheet prices are going to back are going to are going to are going to skyrocket. What I what I will say is I've had a lot of guys call me in the last three months going, "Hey man, when when some good deals come up, uh, get a hold of me. I'm ready to go or whatever." I can tell you this: I think that the good deals on sheep are gone for the next four years. Now that's this is totally Brendan my prediction, but you know there's 500 sheep hunters that are going to have to find a space here. And 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 again, the other thing is. There's no plan yet in Canada. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but there's nothing says that we'll be hunting in Canada next year if things don't change. So right now there's 500 guys um, that are out of a sheep hunt. And so I don't think spots, I think for the next couple of years, I know in the NWT they're, they're spreading guys out over the next couple of years and putting them in spaces that they have and, and trying to fill in. I mean, again, those guys lost a lot of revenue. They lost the whole season. Um, there's still old rams dying, but there's, you know, there's, there's some more rams that are going to be able to kill. Um, but I, I would say that the price could go up and, and especially if some of these 
you know, the market sets the price and with, and there's a lot more demand than there is supply right now. And I think for the next three or four years, there's going to be far more demand than there is, than there is supply. So I, I would definitely, I don't think there's going to be many good deals on sheep. Um, if they open everything up here in the next uh, couple of years, that would be my prediction. Next question. Kuyu should make moccasins. Well, yeah, good feedback. <laughs> we don't, but we should, apparently we should. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely um, run that up the flagpole and see uh, see who likes it. That idea. So, anyway, um, <laughs> that's a new you, one. I haven't heard that one. Uh, when will Velo hooded two forties be available? Uh, check the website. Um, whatever the date says, they'll be back in stock. Will be your best answer. Uh, looks like we're, and I'm, I'm looking at the site right now, the hood, the jacket version without a hood, looks like we're out of, and yeah, both, both of them looks like we're out. So, uh, get on the website. I don't know when this is going live, but I think we, we should have them in August, uh, mid August. So anytime. Okay. Any plan for smaller sizes for us vertically challenged hunters? LOL. <laughs> We we're always expanding pad. yeah 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 we're always expanding stuff we have the attack pan right now which is which is shorter but uh you know based on you know like i, I can see us expanding the line but as of right now you know some of that stuff uh you, you just might have to get altered slightly but um yeah we're 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 trying to add in as many different sizes as we can and obviously you want to include kids and all that kind of stuff so Hey, rain gear. I'm going to get the Kutana set. I see you post about the jacket. What about the pants? Pants, same, you know, same technology as the jacket, um, full zip step in. Um, if you're going to get the, if you're going to get the Kutana, um, set, uh, yeah, I mean, get the, get the, get the matching jacket that goes with it. It's going to have the same readability as the jacket, as the pant. Um, they're designed fairly minimal. I mean, that's our most durable rain pant, you know, it's full zip. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the one to get. If you're going with the Katana set, uh, I would, I, I guess I don't quite understand the question, but, um, I think he's if, saying if, he's seen me post about the Katana jacket. What about the pants? And I would echo that, you know, the Katana pants are phenomenal, great durability, but they're extremely lightweight. Um, I've been using them in Arizona and Colorado and definitely the Katana. I uh, used to be heavy on Chugach uh, because of weight. Uh, wore the Yukon up there on the Chugach doll sheep hunt um, just because I wanted a little bit heavier, but the Kutana wasn't available then. Uh, the Kutana for me is definitely the standby. That's that's the go-to Kuyu uh, rain gear that I use on most everything. But there's, there's uses for both the Chugach, which is a little lighter, and uh the yukon which is which is going to be heavier and the the katana wouldn't you say fits in the middle yeah for sure um the 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 lightest is the chugach um and then you got the katana and it's, it's definitely a little slightly less breathable but more durable and then the yukon is, is really kind of standalone super durable so yeah i mean that's that's the, as far as backpacking rain gear that's that's what i'm you know especially on the big sheep hunts and stuff like that. that's what i'm using right now Okay, next question. Why should I buy Kuyu over First Light or Sitka? Built better. You look at the ingredients on them. Um, we don't use any spandex. Uh, uh, I've looked at everybody's um, ingredients that they use, and if, if you're 
if they're if they're building it with spandex to get their stretch, uh, it, it absorbs water. It grows odor-causing bacteria. It's slow to dry, and it wears out quick. So think about your favorite pair of underwear. What's the first thing to blow out in them? It's it's the elastic waistband. Um, you know, we we use better products. We use um, better fabrics that don't have spandex, and we get our stretch by the way it's woven. Um, you know, if you're just outside looking in and, and you want to, like, get right down to the what makes us better, that's that's the first thing that I think of. I mean, I know there's countless of other reasons, um, but yeah, that's that's my big thing right there is is the no spandex. And one of the things I would throw into that question, guys, if you don't mind if I interject, is from what I've witnessed and seen over the years, the guys at Kuyu are guys that are going on these hunts, the guys that are experiencing these mountain hunts, and that you know, take it upon themselves to try and better their product and make their product better for themselves because they're going on those hunts. In my opinion, those other two companies, the heads of those companies do not go on mountain hunts. So they're making mountain gear for that, you know, for, um, mountain hunts, but they don't even go on those hunts themselves. So when you take professionals, you take, you know, guys like Brendan, guys like Kevin, guys like the, the head guys at Kuyu, uh, and when Jason was still with us, I mean, that was the premise of the company is to make better mountain gear. And I mean, the proof's in the pudding. I'm sorry. It is what it is. And I don't mean anything, you know, it's just the truth. Um, and I've seen it firsthand. And maybe you like our, our stance on conservation too. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a yeah. plus too. Um, I, and I, uh, one thing to add there, like I still have like the very... You know, before I worked at Kuyu, I'd tried everybody's gear. Like, you know, I've worked in the industry a long time. You get some hookups and you get to be able to try out other gear. And, like, I still have the very first pair of Kuyu pants I ever got. I, I wore them, like, two days ago. They're attack pants. I bought them in, the like, the end of 2013. They've seen the inside of my washing machine more than anything I own. They're solid. They've killed elk in them, deer, antelope. I've delivered babies in them. I've poured cement. Like, that I've never had a pair of a set of a single piece of hunting gear in my whole collection last as long as this one pair of pants. And I'll still wear them to the office once in a while. They look great. Like, and I, I don't hammer on them or anything, but they, they just keep going. And like, seriously, I've tried everybody else's pants and they don't last as long. They just, they frankly do not. So, well, and I don't know. Another thing I'll add to Kevin is, you know, being the first direct to consumer model, People don't understand that when you cut out that middleman of 40%, you're able to put that 40% back into better materials in the product. And what that does is allows you to provide a better product by cutting out that 40%. You can actually charge sure. less or even the same, but have a, a way better product. And that's huge. Yeah, I mean, the reason you. that Jason, yeah, the reason that Jason started Kuyu after he left Sitka is he wanted to work with better fabrics and that former business model did not work to be able to build the best stuff. And, you know, so it's, it's used in real conditions, um, designed because we actually need it. And, and again, I mean, we, we have, it's the ingredients. I mean, it's better, better products with better fabrics, better designs. Um, yeah. In other words, Brendan, what you're saying about the materials, if, if Jason wanted to make the same materials that are made in Kuyu and then put 40% on top of that, the consumer would be priced out. So that's why you would never buy them. Right. Yeah, it would certainly be a lot more expensive, that's for sure. And, and uh, you know, somebody may, but, I mean, at the end of the day, we pass the value on, like, I mean, we buy, 
it's it's a it's it's one of the first times in history and i would say some of these other brands have switched to become consumer direct now as well but the, what they didn't do is cut out the profit margin i mean the prices are the exact same they were when they were in the retail model and now they're consumer direct and so all they did is just make their margins higher they haven't improved the product itself right okay do you guys use kuyu game bags if so how many do you recommend for a bull elk Yep, use them all the time, love them. Um, bull elk, I can tell you, is two extra-large quarter bags, two large quarter bags, um, two large bone-out meat bags, a medium, and one medium bone-out meat bag. That's for, like, back straps and, uh, and tenderloins. And that'll, that'll get a full bull elk out. And I also take a, uh, a large quarter bag for, for the cape. You know, if you kill a big bull and you want to keep it cool, I, I, that's so two, two, sure. two, and yep. If you weren't taking notes right then, go to our website, click on the size guide for game bags. Brendan and I put that list together for smaller games. So if you're, you're hunting like coos deer, pronghorn, or medium-sized game like mule deer, whitetail, and then larger game like moose caribou, that, that list is spot on. So that's what I would recommend as well on top of what Brendan said. That, that same exact information is on our website. Click on the sizing guide. That'll give you everything. You won't be short. You may have a little bit of extra, you know, especially if you're not taking a cape or um, some of the trim meat, but that'll get you what you need. Yeah. And yeah. I, and some guys, and some people like to, you know, like for me, I, I always bone out the front shoulders. Like I, it seems like a lot of bone for me to carry it. I just take the time right there on the spot to always bone out the front shoulders. Some guys, you know, want to take the whole bone in and then, you know, maybe size up on uh, and get all four XLs, you know, so you make sure you got it covered. And you know, especially you might want to go to some of the bigger sizes on on the quarter bags, especially if it's early in the year because, you know, keep the bugs off it. So, um, but yeah, that's all there if you want to check it out. Yeah. And I'd like to say too, Kevin, I think you've had a really, uh, your hand has really been on the Kuyu website and the website's really come a long ways. It's so comprehensive. Anybody out there listening that hasn't been on the Kuyu site lately, go check it out because I know Kevin and his team, I know Brendan, they've had a lot to do with really getting comprehensive on the site. And guys, any of these questions, this is why we do these Q and A's, but you know, any, any questions you have, always send them to me. I can always funnel it to these guys. You can, Email Brendan direct, you know, direct email uh, Kevin direct and get answers. Next question: Best pant to compare to the First Light brush pant? I, I'm not familiar with that pant, but I would if it's a brush pant, I would say it'd be Katana or Talus. I mean, I'm guessing exactly. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think where we went up on on that is the on the Talus is the waterproof paneling. Um, the whole lower leg is waterproof as well as the seat, so. It's super durable fabric too. It's real tight weave, um, but yeah, that's that's probably what I would go with. Or like you said, the katana. Um, question here: Have you ever wore any Sitka? If so, what makes Kuyu stand out better than Sitka or First Light? I think we just covered that. Yeah, I wore it for five years before we started Kuyu, and I'm very familiar with the line. And even so, and we're always looking. I mean, we don't we. I will say one thing about us, like we're not ostriches. We don't put our head in the sand and pretend like somebody's not coming out with something good. We look at everything. Um, we can give a nod to something. If somebody comes out with something good, see how we can improve on it. Um, we're, we're very aware. One thing we don't, we don't, uh, we don't hide from anybody else's product. We test stuff and make sure that uh, we continue to believe that, that we have the best products out there. So we're, we're not unaware of our competition by any means. 
Next question, I'll take it. It says um, from Devin Pierce, best setup for Southern Arizona cat claw. He put car claw, but I know he means cat claw. So the cat claw is nasty. It's pretty much indigenous there for Arizona and northern Mexico. It's nasty stuff. Uh, the best that I've found is the Kutana pant. Uh, and then the guide pant, because it has the fleece lining, um, it does give you a little bit of protection when you're really busting through that brush. But uh, the Kutana um, has done great for me on coos and on uh, desert sheep hunts uh, in the cat claw. So give that a try. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what camel pattern for Midwest Turkey would you recommend? It's, I mean, I guess it depends on the time of year. It's pretty hard to beat Verde in the springtime. And then, uh, yep. the new, the new pattern Velo in the fall is, is going to be hard to beat in a lot of that stuff. So I would say either, either of those. Okay. Best setup for 11 year old girl going on first elk hunt this summer. Um, guys, before you answer that, one of the things that I would suggest is, so you've got an 11-year-old going on her first elk hunt. I don't know if it means she's accompanying you or she's actually hunting, but so make sure the 11-year-old has a good time. Um, kind of take the hunt, you know, your personal goal of the hunt yourself out of, you know, maybe going super hard. Uh, I would go into that trying to make that 11-year-old want to come back so she's now a 12-year-old going on an elk hunt. Guys? Yeah, yeah I, I, would, I would definitely yeah, add to that. Yeah. Sorry. Um, you know, I, I think with my own kids, how I can gauge their level of interest or what to expect opening morning is don't make the opening morning the first time. Take them scouting. You know, that extends the season. You can kind of see how they're going to react and give you a really good um, look on, on what opening morning w will be like. So, um, yeah, just don't make the mistake of, of that being their first time stepping out. As far as gear wise, I, uh, Brendan, he's got kids and I have kids as well. So we're, we're seeing this, this gear in action. Um, you know, I, when I'm going on the mountain, I want my, my kids wearing the same type of layering system that I am. Um, and that's exactly what we have with, uh, with our soft shells and the reversible insulated jacket and the, the Sierra pant, the synthetic base layers, they've got their own little kit so they can be just like dad. Um, yeah, I would say for, for, for my son, he's not quite that old, but I just took him on a nine mile goat scouting trip and, um, the other day. And uh, one thing is, you know, keep them warm, make sure they got plenty of food, um, make sure they got water, like just, just keep it fun. And, you know, we, we've all like, I mean, the, the way I hunt, I've certainly got the potential to be considered a psycho dad at some point. <laughs> um, so, so I, yeah, again, it's just trying to keep it fun. Um, safe and fun and, and and trying to keep them warm you know it seems like if they're having a bad time a lot of times they're either wet or cold and uh, that's one thing i always bring extra even if it's my stuff you know my son's really really small and you know he's not big right now but i even on a warm day if i know it's going to be good i still throw in an extra super down jacket for them if uh, you know if we're sitting somewhere and you know they get worn out pretty easy and just you know just wrap him up like a little burrito and he he freaking falls asleep right there and you know, wake him up when he's ready to rock. But I, you know, warm and warm and dry is is definitely number one for me. Okay, best soft shell for November. I would say the Axis. Um, we, we, I mean, the guy jacket's great, breathable. Um, it obviously depends on what you're doing, but I would say like if we're talking at November, we're talking snow. 
um, windproof, uh, waterproof where you need it. And, and, you know, got, got a lot of strut. Like I, I would say that the axis is what I'd look at. Brendan, from a hybrid standpoint, when you're talking about the access with the waterproof paneling in the areas like up on the shoulders, up on the arms, top part of the arms, but then on under, the hood, under, yep. yeah, on the hood, but underneath and, you know, on top of the shoulders too, but underneath say under the arms, then that's where the hybrid comes in and it's a more breathable material. Talk about how that's kind of a game changer with, with the Kuyu access jacket in your opinion. So a lot of the hybrid stuff would be, and we have a bunch of them now, it'd be, it, it can be two things. It can be multiple different fabrics. And like a hybrid is basically the best fabrics in the, in the correct spot. So sometimes, you know, like, like for example, on the, on the axis, like you, you have a, a membrane in between the two layers, which makes it waterproof, but you know, it doesn't leave it as, as breathable as it could be. That's where the stuff underneath you go with a lighter fabric and it's more breathable, got more stretch. You have the waterproof panels where you need it. And you have the breathable panels where you, where you, where you need it the most as well, you know, like, you know, on, on the pants, you know, like you want them to be super breathable, but it's nice that they have a membrane on your butt and on your knees down to your ankles where you're going to be going through the snow and the rest of the place. It's highly breathable. You still have the, the hip vents and all that stuff. So really when we look at hybrid, whether it's some of our mid layers or the pants or anything like that, it's, it's the perfect fabric in the best spots. Good answer there. Uh, I keep seeing Kuyu TP. When will it be available? Wonder if he's talking about the Summit Star one-person tent. Looks like a TP. It's got a center pitch pole. Um, those are available and on the site right now. We also have the Summit Refuge three-person tent, which I guess at certain angles may have a TP appearance to it. Um, but those are in stock, ready to go as well. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen a TP. Okay, a uh, good lightweight jacket to wear in AZ during those crisp mornings. You know, a lot of times on crisp mornings, I'll kind of combine stuff. And again, if, if it's, you know, Arizona, let's just assume it's not raining. Um, it's pretty hard to beat a Kenai a lot of times. You know, if you need something that's a bit substantial when it's cold in the morning, possibly in the later, later day, but like I, you know, my kind of go-to piece a lot of times is, is the Kenai for, for versatility. You know, it's super warm. It's actually far more durable than you would think it would be. And uh, it's pretty lightweight as well. Packs up nicely. Super quiet too. I would say it's one yep. of our quietest jackets. Okay, guys, last question here, Tiburon or attack? Depends on the temperature. I mean, if it's yeah. crazy hot, you can't beat, uh, Tiburon and I would actually put the uh, I put the, the katana in between the Tiburon and the attack but you know depending on the temperatures you're going to be hunting in the area um, you know if it's if it's 90 to 120 I mean you're definitely want to go with Tiburon um, the rest of the time you may want to you know go to either katana or attack for both durability and you know stretch or you know a little bit something that's a little more substantial if I only had to pick if I had to pick one it would be the attack because they're not bad when it is super hot. You got the hip vents, you can dump heat, very breathable. Um, that I mean, if I had to pick one, I, I like them both, and I wear both all the time. Tiburon's when it's hot, attacks when it's cool. Yeah, attack man is certainly our is definitely our, our best selling product and has been for for ten years. So um, can't go wrong with with that. Guys, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to answer these customers' questions, Kuyu customer questions. 
A um, lot of good info here. Appreciate the time. Also want to remind the listeners, uh, go check out kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com. Uh, guys, I appreciate it. Uh, any last uh, any things you want to add in conclusion here that we've, that we've talked about or just anything in general? No, it's about to be hunting season, so good luck to everybody. And uh, like I said, if you have questions, send them in. Um, so either send them to Jay or send them to customer service or send them direct. Um, we'll, we'll get them answered. And, uh, yeah, good luck to everybody. It's about to be – we'll definitely be slightly unreachable for the next couple months. But if you, you have more stuff for Jay, send it in. And obviously, uh, love to love to answer the questions. Yeah, and don't, yeah, you guys don't tag forget out. about uh, – sorry, Kevin. Don't forget about Conservation Direct. Anybody that wants to get involved – uh, in conservation, I've got, you know, so many people reached out. It's time, it's time to put our money where our mouth is. Uh, go ahead and reach out. Send me a direct message through Instagram or uh, email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com, and I will make sure to get you connected uh, with Brendan and Conservation Direct. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I was about to say uh, tag us if, you know, we want to see what you guys put down on the grounds um kuyu official on instagram and facebook and also use the hashtag kuyu nation and we look at every one of those we love seeing your photos and seeing our gear in action and um it's cool so good luck everybody awesome guys thanks god bless and uh have a great hunting season and we'll talk to you on the other side all right we'll catch you later jay thanks guys later yep bye Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you have any interest in buying optics or have any glassing questions, whether it be tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call 702-847-8747. That's extension 2 or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. Guys, right now at gohunt.com insider, you can take advantage of the free trial. Go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. You're going to be able to take advantage of a free trial of the Insider. GoHunt is always adding more value for their Insider members. They've now added real 3D maps as a part of Insider for no additional cost. What an incredible value. Very soon, they're going to have their mobile app up as well. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash jscott and sign up for a free trial. If you're already an Insider member, it's automatically part of your Insider membership. And you can just go to the Maps tab up at the top once you sign in as an Insider. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more, you can go to kuiu.com, kuyu.com. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They sell everything off of the Kuyu.com website. I also do a lot of question and answer on my Instagram where I'm answering questions about guys wanting to know about gear about Kuyu, so tune into my Instagram. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. And I want to thank AllElk.com, home of the Bugle Mule. Use the JSO10 to save 10% on all orders. The Bugle Mule 
attaches to your bugle and it's a great little carrier that holds three elk calls right there on your bugle tube and it's I can't wait to use it this season. Again, thanks to all the sponsors of my podcast.